can take young adults making less than $400 a year unemployed and getting them into jobs. So there's three big numbers we track, right? How many folks did we get into jobs? How many of them kept them for a year? And by the way, we picked a year because all our research shows that if somebody keeps a job for a year, even if they get laid off, they'll get another job. They're going to be okay. If someone keeps a job for less than a year and they get laid off or fired, they're going to probably slide back into what they were doing before. So that year mark is important, right? So how many folks did we get a job? How, how many kept it for a year? And how much are they making? So that that's the biggie. This is going to be a, a different episode than normal. Uh, you know, the podcast is called Cash Flow. Uh, C A C H E is how it's spelled, and and uh, most of the guests are tech founders, tech CEOs. So it's most of the time it's about building businesses that are making money. So this is the first time I've had a nonprofit CEO. I'm a huge fan of HopeWorks. The mission is amazing. You guys are doing great stuff in the Philadelphia region. And just to quickly summarize it, uh, HopeWorks started in Camden, New Jersey, has spread out through uh, in, into Philly now. And uh, Philadelphia and uh, the 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 mission of HopeWorks, the the mission you guys are working on is to end poverty in the region, and you're doing that by teaching young adults how to code, how to build websites, how to do design, build apps, digital marketing, GIS. You know, teaching them really important tech skills, but also helping them deal with the trauma that they may have, uh, you know, been through. Uh, you know, living in poverty and and you know potentially in in a bad situation, whether it's with uh, you know, abusive family or just like growing up in a, in a rough neighborhood and also helping them get the professional skills they need, the soft skills to be able to succeed in a work environment. So it's just all around what you guys are doing is awesome. I'd love to hear like your story is amazing. I've heard parts of your story before. So I, I'm I'm excited to hear the full story end to end today. Uh, and, and with all that, Dan, uh, thanks for coming on. Oh man, so excited to talk to you, Brian. Really excited to be here. Honored to chat with you today. So I'm so I'm psyched. Cool, cool. So uh, just let's start from the beginning. Like, how did you? You know, we'll get to like how you got involved in HopeWorks and then you know became the CEO. And uh, but like, let's start like at the beginning. How did how did you get involved in this type of work? And and what what was your story? Sure. You know, well, the the part that a lot of folks don't talk about enough is I started doing this work not because I had some vision to change the world. You know, some folks do or not because that I had some epiphany moment. Um, I got into this work because uh, growing up, uh, my family didn't have a lot of money and I went to college and teaching was a steady job. <laughs> so that's how I started teaching. But when I was deciding where I was going to teach, um, I had a choice at the end of college, right? I had been doing a student teaching at this fancy magnet school where all the kids were brilliant and, and everything was awesome. And at this, and that was kind of like where I was supposed to go teach, right? And I had an opportunity there. But then at the same time, I had been uh, tutoring uh, with this uh, some folks that were coming out of incarceration, folks that were on probation. And, uh, and I had another opportunity to teach at this detention facility. Pay was much lower. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it wasn't a glamorous position, but I had I had an opportunity to teach there. And um, and I, I, when I was about to start my career, I had this moment where I had to really decide. And so it was it was the end of the school year for both schools. And so I went to graduation. Right. And both graduations are great. Right. I went to the, 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 the impressive magnet school and families were excited. and They were going to all these fancy schools and it was great. Um, and then I went to the graduation for the detention facility and it was much smaller, you know, it was in a gym, right? <laughs> but uh, I remember the parents, they were like, I wasn't sure my kid was gonna make it to 18, much less graduate. And, and I had a moment, I was like, well, I could go to graduations and feel like I did a small part or I could do this every year. And the choice was clear, much I have to tell you to my mother's disappointment. <laughs> well, wow, that's so a that's really uh, that's a really powerful story. So, uh, I mean, I don't normally talk about like we don't. I no, you know normally it's like more logical stuff that we talk about on the show. But like, I'm curious, like what that that feeling was like when you made that decision. You know how how did you come to that conclusion? So I really it was it was I wasn't sure about it. Is the short answer? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. 
and being honest, like sometimes when folks tell the story, it's like, and I knew in the moment a beam of sunshine came down, right? <laughs> but if I'm honest, I, I had to I had to tell everybody by Friday, right? <laughs> so Thursday night, I'm like, what am I gonna do? And I just thought about like where in 10 years would I be proud to say what I did, right? And they were both fine, but but doing the detention facility stuff, I was like, I'm we're gonna do something here, right? The, the 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 fancy magnet school was awesome. It would be great. And I would just kind of be keeping things the same, right? I would be doing my part to keep things going. And I was like, I'm not sure if I'm happy with the way things are going, right? And so I knew at the detention facility, I could do something different. So I, I made the call. That was Friday. I made the call, regretted it on Saturday, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Talked to my mom on Sunday. And she was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and then I start. I started, you know, a week later. And the moment I walked in, I was like, "This was the right choice." And and we ran from there. That's cool. There's like I think about this a lot. There's you know, uh, everybody has certain you know a few points in their life that they can pick out where you know you had a decision to make. And if you went one way, and I'm sure there's like more micro examples of this as well. But sometimes there's like these really pivotal decisions in life to make that if you go one way. Or the other way, it has vastly different outcomes on your entire life. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I I know you as a person, so I'm sure you would have done really great things at the magnet school. But I can only imagine, like, how different your life would have turned out if you chose the other school. It would have been really different, for sure. <laughs> it's wild to think about. Uh, all right, cool. So, so all right, you, you, you accepted the, the job. And uh, your first day, what was that like? Well, so what you have to know, and if folks are listening, is that um, I'm older now. I'm, I'm in my 40s. But so in my 20s, I looked like a uh, wimpy version of Harry Potter, right? <laughs> and so you can imagine this dude walking in, a slightly squeaky voice coming into a detention facility. And uh, and man, I got to say, we rocked it. We had so much fun. I would. Where was it, by the way? It was outside of Philly, in the suburbs of Philly. Um, okay. So we're, we're getting kids from Philly. And and so two two things that I always remember about that first year. The first was um, after the first couple of weeks uh, where everybody was like, man, this dude looks like Harry Potter, but he's kind of intense. Like we're doing this. Uh, one, one, one of the one of the young men is like, you know, Mr. Roden, like, why are you so into this? Like, why do you why? Why did you want to teach here? Because you can imagine I, mean, I took it seriously. Right. I was gunning for him. And I was like, dudes, like, I had this chance to teach here at the most selective school in the region. <laughs> <laughs> and I was kind of joking, but I kind of wasn't because, listen, like, the way I always thought about it, my experience was, was that, like, look, if you're 16, 15, 16, 17, and you're doing enough stuff that they're sending you away to get locked up. Now, you're doing bad stuff. I don't want to take anything away, but I'll tell you something else. Ambition ain't your problem, right? I mean, these are young men. They're all men. These are young men that, like, given the choice between, like, giving up or sitting in their mom's basement or getting out there and making money and doing something with their life, they chose getting out there, right? Brave, like, literally dangerous, right? And they're out there doing it. Like, now, they were going in the wrong direction. Okay, I, I hear you. But, like... That's who I want to work with, right? The fire's there. You got to be on your toes. Like we, it, it's a directional challenge. It's not a, uh, it's not an ambition or drive challenge, right? Like bring it on, right? That's so, so cool. I was thinking about that too, and I, I meant to say this in the intro, uh, and I just skipped my mind. But like you know, I've met a lot of the the students, the young adults at HopeWorks, and I wonder like how many of those in ten years. We'll be coming on a podcast like this, telling their entrepreneurial story of how they got their company started and, you know, how uh, how their business works and all that kind of cool stuff. That's it. And and that's exactly it. Like these are these were young men who, given the chance to make money, become entrepreneurs, do something with their family, chose it. Now, they chose the thing that was right outside their door. Right. Which was illegal, clearly. But like, that's what they did. And if they'd grown up somewhere else, they would have been out there starting a tech business. So, so like that was who I wanted to work with. And like, man, we had so much fun that first year. But the other thing I remember about the first year was the very last day of school that day. I was sitting in my room, cleaning up, you know, getting ready for graduation. It had been a great first year. I was, I was feeling very pleased with myself. And um, 
and in walks the dean of students. Now, this dean of students at this place looked like how you would imagine a dean of students at a detention facility looked like, right? Big old beard, like 10 feet tall, boots. Now, what he wouldn't tell you is he also had a master's degree in social work. But anyway, that was not the look, right? And I spent probably most of my first year terrified of this dude, right? I, I, did, I did not want to get in trouble with this dude. He was scary. This dude comes in, he's like, Dan. I was like, hello, Mr. Lee, you right? <laughs> It's like, here. And he drops a $20 bill on my desk. He's like, I owe that to you. And I'm like, Mr. Lee, I am certain I have never in my life, nor will I ever borrow money from you. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, no, I owe it to you. And I'm like, Mr. Lee, I am certain you don't. He's like, no, you do. That's what I bet you wouldn't last the first week. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so I took the money <laughs> and that was my first year there. And from there, man, I got to tell you, I was, I was there for 15 years. I was a teacher there. I was a school administrator there. Uh, and we did, we did awesome stuff there. One of my alumni is an Obama fellow. We had, we had young, young men doing amazing stuff. It was a super fun job. That's cool. 15 years. Yeah. You spent a long time there. Yeah. And then, um, but then the but the the part is there was a time when I realized I couldn't stay there longer, right? Because because full transparency, my plan was I was retiring. I was killing it. I was having so much fun. It was awesome. Um, but the reason I ended up at HopeWorks from there uh, was a young man by the name of Marcus. So um, I remember I was I was out. I think it was a Saturday. I was walking through North Philly. I don't know why I was up there, but I was doing something, and. Um, I'm walking down the street and I hear, hey, Mr. Roden, Mr. Roden, there's Marcus. And I knew Marcus. He'd been in my class, super smart, graduated, done everything right. He comes running over. He calls over a couple of his friends. And he starts saying these amazing things about what a great teacher I was, how I inspired him, how he really understood math. I mean, Brian, it felt great. You know, <laughs> and I even said, I said, Marcus, you know, this feels great. But you know what, what would, would make it feel any better hearing all these nice things? Is if you weren't dealing drugs right now. Yeah, I've heard you tell that story. That's so, <laughs> it's so wild. <laughs> and uh, and it just it killed me. And and I, I was like, what's going on? And he told me a story that like he got out. He uh, he wanted tried to do the right thing. He had a baby at home. He couldn't get a job. Nobody would hire him. And so um, he he went and started making money the way that he did. And and. Um, and I have to say, as much fun as I had had teaching, I'd been doing it for 15 years. I mean, I was there forever. You know, again, we we'd done all this great stuff. Um, that that was that was hard, right? Because I was like, man, I I've spent all this time and energy teaching folks, and like the whole like education's gonna solve it, right? That was the theory, right? You you, you give folks education, get them a diploma. Um, so that meeting was hard, and then um, and then that day, actually, that afternoon after that encounter, I drove back to the school and I started looking up files of other Marcuses, right? And trying to get in touch with them and figuring out like what happened. And um, and like Marcus wasn't the only one with that story, right? And so, uh, so I was like, okay, uh, well, no, that's not true. I, I spent like two or three days being like, crap, like what am I doing? <laughs> And then, and then I kind of, and I really, really was like, I'm generally a pretty positive person, but that was, that was a tough moment, right? I was like, man, I've been doing this for 15 years, doing all this good stuff. How many folks have I let down, right? Because just being honest, I felt like what I said to folks all the time, because you can imagine they were, the young men in my class were not really eager for, for my, the education I was providing in the first couple of weeks. <laughs> I had them, right? This was not their experience. In fact, just one side story, I will tell you. Just to give you a sense, as I remember, there's this one young man, Jamal, huge guy. I mean, just massive, right? Uh, he was a little tricky at start. He did not want to do this math thing. He did not want to graduate. We got through it. And then I'm at graduation, and I had brought a guest with me. And um, and so he's he's meeting my guest and saying, oh, you know, oh, yeah, Mr. Brown's a great teacher. And, and my guest's like, oh, that's nice. And then he pauses. He's like, no, no, you you don't understand. This this guy really, really knows how to talk to people. And I was like, Jamal, you know, you did the work. And he's like, and then he turns to me in front of my guest. And he says, oh, no, Mr. Roden, first couple of weeks, first, you know, he's in his cap and day on gown now. So picture this huge dude, cap and gown, 
turns to me, he's like, oh, no, no, Mr. Rowan, you really did change me. First couple of weeks in your class, I just thought about throwing chairs at you. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, all right, Jamal, I'll take that one. I'll take that compliment. But the point was, so I've been doing all this work. I've been, the Jamal's of the world, the Marcus of the world, I've been selling them this bill of goods, right? Like, hey, man, you, you, you did some crazy stuff. You're here now. Get the education you need. You're going to get out there, and you're going to be able to turn things around. And a lot did. I don't want to take anything away. But then I realized, like, a lot didn't, and it wasn't their fault. Because they so go right like, back to the same environment. That's it. And, and, and there's nobody, there was nobody willing them to give them a shot. Like, here's, here's a young man, tattoos. Uh, he's coming from incarceration. There's no, and he has no experience. He has no experience, right? And so there were so many companies that wouldn't give him a shot and they still got to earn money. And I, I, I really like spent some time reflecting, like how many folks did I like make a promise that their lives would be different that like I didn't keep it? Um, so, uh, so then 15 years in, I had this nice little thing. I had this path. I was going to, that's what I was going to do. And then I was just like, all right, I gotta, I gotta figure out a way to solve this one. Um, so that was kind of the second kind of key point for me, if that makes sense. I want to take a quick break from the episode and say, if you're enjoying this content, the best way you can say thank you is to subscribe. So if you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and the notification bell. And if you're on one of the podcast platforms, hit the subscribe button there as well. And also share it out to your friends and colleagues. If you find this content useful and you think other people will enjoy it as well, please send it out. And back to the episode. Did you found HopeWorks or was that, uh, did you join? So no, that's exactly what happened. So, so, so you can imagine I spent, I spent a few days just feeling sorry for myself, right? That, that happened. Um, and then I was like, all right, what am I going to do? And I, so I said, okay. What, and actually, I just, I followed up with Marcus. I was like, dude, like what would have made the difference, right? Like I let you down, right? Like what would have made the difference? And he's like, truthfully, if I could have gotten a job, you know, like then I could have, you know, then I was like, all right. So then I started looking around, like I need to, I need to do something with people that get people jobs. <laughs> and so I started work, uh, looking around and frankly, um, what I saw wasn't super encouraging, right? Like there are a lot of places that would train folks for jobs or get them little certificates or help them with their resume. But I kind of saw the same problem that I'd had is that like, it seemed like a lot of these places when I visited them were like uh, making promises that they couldn't keep, right? So I was like, all right. So then I found out about this place called HopeWorks. At the time it was, it was, uh, it was like a three or four person operation. It run out of a house in North Camden. Um, it was founded really to teach kids to code in 2000. I didn't found it. It was actually founded by um, three churches. Father Jeff Putoff was the founder who kind of really got things going. Classic visionary who like really gets things going. Probably not unlike many entrepreneurs you have on this show, right? Like driven, really, really incredible guy. Um, and when I heard about them, they they just started really um, having this idea, which was like, what if rather than teach folks to code, we like taught them skills and then we had businesses where we could employ them? Right. And it was just kind of starting, you know, it was they were and and so like I said, it was a really small operation. Um, but I was like, that to me sounds like the right idea. And um, and so essentially I went there and I was like, I was like, listen, um, I think you have the right idea. Um, if we're gonna do anything with this, we can't we gotta do more than you know a couple a year. We gotta really do this. Um, you know. I would like you to let me help you with this. <laughs> so I convinced them, you know, so so they so they so Hopeworks brought me on and I for for the first year and a half I was like the COO, I was the chief operating officer, right? And we did a lot of good work to kind of get things then going. And then after that I took over as the CEO and um and and then the goal was like, all right, it, step one, make sure this thing works. We, we got that going. And then now step two is like, let's do more of that. Right. And start moving the needle. So how did you, um, how, how did you validate that it's working? Like the, the Marcus situation, how, how did you validate that? So the, so the, there are three steps we had to do. Um, the first step is we had to stop relying on our stories. 
And here's what I mean by that. In nonprofit industry, a lot of, we have really inspiring stories, right? Like folks change their lives. It's incredible, right? But the danger is what, what we were doing at HopeWorks is we were relying on those stories to make us feel like we were being effective. And the fact is one really inspiring story can cover a lot of it, cover up a lot of ineffective uh, behavior. So the first thing we did is, um, you know, of course we still enjoyed the, the story, but we started creating dashboards and weekly and monthly reporting so we could see what we were actually doing. The second thing that we did is once we figured well, we're, out- uh, Just on that, what were like the KPIs on the dashboards? So the, there was like the ultimate KPI, right? You know, fundamentally HopeWorks only has one thing we do, right? We take young adults making less than $400 a year unemployed and getting them into jobs, right? So there's three big numbers we track, right? How many folks did we get into jobs? How many of them kept them for a year? And by the way, we picked a year because all our research shows that if somebody keeps a job for a year, even if they get laid off, they'll get another job, right? They're gonna be okay. If someone keeps a job for less than a year and they get laid off or fired, they're gonna probably slide back into what they were doing before. So that year mark is important, right? So how many folks did we get a job? How, how many kept it for a year? And how much are they making, right? So that that's the biggie. And are there's like percentages and averages, like that's kind of the numbers that you look at? Yep, every and every month. That's it. You know, like right now at HopeWorks, you know, this year we're placing 125 folks in jobs. That means we've got to place between 10 and 11 folks every month, right? And I always say, like, you know, one story is inspirational, but moving the needle takes efficiency, right? And so, you know, so like last month we placed 10, the month before we placed 15. We're okay, we're on target, right? Um then the, then the second thing we had to start looking at is, okay, so that happens, but we got to know what, what are the behaviors that we are doing day to day to make that thing happen at the end of the year, right? And again- I'm also, the, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh. I'm curious uh, on that. I, you got me thinking about that. So I, I've met a lot of the, the students at HopeWorks and a lot of them are really impressive. Uh, what- do you find situations where you feel like you're just kind of trying to push them into getting a job as opposed or or do they almost always or do they always want it to to the point that like you're just helping them and they're they're going out to do it? Yeah, so everybody wants it, right? I mean, that that whole, you know, you've probably heard the whole like, oh, folks don't want to work. You know, we have a waiting list that as of this morning has 88 people on it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> folks want to work. They want to do it. But you know where the work really comes in? is convincing young adults that they can do it, right? Because it's just like anything else. Like if I'm going to start running a marathon, the hardest part is when I take that first jog and I go two blocks and I'm out of breath. That's when I'm going to quit, right? That's when I'm going give, <laughs> to give up and say, I'm not a marathoner. I can't do it, right? That's what happens at HopeWorks. Young adults come in, they want to do it. They believe they can do it. And it's so unfamiliar. No one in their social circle has done this before. They've never done it before, right? And that's the work of HopeWorks is saying, um, well, of course it's hard. <laughs> like, it should be hard. And we're going to help you get the rest of the way. If we can get them through that, you know, I always say, if you're running a marathon, once you, once you hit mile 12, you're probably going to run the whole marathon, right? Where you're going to quit yeah. is trying to get to mile through mile one and two, right? And that's the work that we're doing. That's cool. That's awesome. So, uh, all right. So I, I uh, took you, I took you off track there. So uh, circling back to what you were saying. Uh, yep. <laughs> so, 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 so we had to figure out that, okay, if we're going to get those folks jobs, that's the end of the year. Great. But how do we make sure we're doing it? So like we started figuring out like, what are the things that predict if someone's going to get a job? Right. And like, and then we started tracking those, like a couple surprising things we found out. Right. Like the biggest predictor we found of whether or not someone's going to get a job is not necessarily how they come in, is not necessarily their attendance the first week, like all those things you'd imagine. You know what we found it is? The best predictor of whether or not someone's going to get a job is how often their coach meets with them. How often their what? Their coach meets with them. Mm, interesting. Right? Uh, and that's what we found is if a coach meets with somebody every single week, never misses a day, like is on it, even if that person, if the young adult misses a day, the coach makes up the session. Does that make sense? Yeah. If they're meeting every day and then you start thinking, oh, that makes sense. If my personal trainer is relentless and if I miss a session, the personal trainer comes to my house. That's kind of what we do at Hope Parts, right? 
then I am going to get in shape, right? Yeah, it's interesting. And maybe it's partly that, like maybe it partly is about creating discipline, but maybe it's also like partly that if somebody else believes in that person that much, like how can they not believe in themselves? Maybe that's like some of the thinking, whether it's conscious or subconscious. I don't know. I'm just totally speculating, but no, well, no, that's it. In fact, what we found is a couple of the key things, other things that we found are really important is if somebody doesn't show up, we call, we text, and we email them within 30 minutes of when they're supposed to be there. And that's important. They never pick up the phone. You know, seldom do they answer the text. That's not the point. The point is that they are immediately missed. We expected you to be here, right? You know, I always joke, if I didn't show up at work, I hope somebody would be worried and call, right? But with young adults changing their lives, a lot of times folks message by how they act that they don't expect you to succeed. A young adult doesn't show up to a training program and nobody calls. They say, oh, I guess he didn't want it. Well, you're sending a clear message to that young adult when they don't show up and you don't do anything. You don't act worried. You don't check in on them, right? How often does that happen? People not show up. I'm sure oh, it's probably more time. in the beginning. <laughs> exactly. All the time. And, and that's the point, right, is that um, we know that poverty and trauma like has an impact on people, right? And so we can be surprised each time someone doesn't show up and at, and being a little funny, like, gasp, I can't believe they didn't show up. Or we know that they're not going to show up and we know why they won't show up. I don't know. I don't know which young adult at HopeWorks is going to lose their housing while they're in training, but I know about 30% will. It's very reliable. So we can act like it's some insurmountable problem or what we did, we know 30% will lose their housing at some point during training. We, so that tells us how many slots we need to set up at the local shelters for our young adults. And then boom, oh, you lost your housing? This isn't a shock to us. This, I mean, it's sadly, it's normal and we know how to handle it, right? I always say it's, it's like the difference between walking into the emergency room and saying, my leg hurts kind of the old school way of most training programs, they say, oh, well, your leg hurts. You have to work harder. Oh, well, what did you do to it? It's your fault, right? Oh my goodness, we don't know what to do. As opposed to you walk into emergency room, they're like, oh, your leg hurts? Let me see. Yep, it's broken. We see it all the time. Here's what you have to do, right? One way you feel like it's your fault and you're never gonna go back to that emergency room again, right? The other way you're like, oh, they actually understand my problem and it seems like they know what to do. Yeah. And that's kind of the secret. It's so amazing. I mean, you know, I, I live right in Center City, Philadelphia. So every single time I walk out my door, I see, you know, uh, homeless people and uh, people that are, uh, you know, addicted to, to drugs or uh, have mental illnesses. And uh, they just, you know, they can't participate in society the way that is, you know, typically expected. And, uh, you know, I can't, uh, I, I can only imagine like how many of those people, if they had access to a program like HopeWorks wh- when they were, you know, in their late teens, early twenties, what, how different would their life look like today? Would they, would they still be on the street corner? That's uh, it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. And that, that's like, you guys are kind of like, you guys are starting, you know, obviously like there's stuff that happens before that stage in life, but like right at the beginning of their professional life, they're, you know, if you want to call it that, like at the transition point when, you know, by societal definition, you should go into your professional stage of life. You guys are starting right at that, uh, right at that point in their life and, uh, and kind of being like the, the Sherpa of, uh, you know, the, the, the professional, uh, you know, transitioning into a professional, uh, phase of life. So that's, uh, it's really interesting and inspiring to me what you guys are doing. Well, and, you know, thank you, first of all. And, you know, the other cool thing is, like, we then get to watch our alumni buy houses, right? Because they're actually making a living wage. We get to watch them bring their kids into HopeWorks, not for HopeWorks services, but just to show that, you know, show their kids where their parents got started. I always joke, the only way we want to see the children of our participants is if they're coming to make a donation. (laughs) <laughs> right every young adult we place in that living wage job is somebody that's never going to have to use hope works right that's a, that's a that's a child that's that's going to have stable housing that's a child that's whose parents are going to have income so like and, and you've we, also taught them like emotional uh coping skills so like that you're ending the cycle of you know you're you're 
helping to end that cycle of of trauma and uh, yeah repeating repeating that the thing the repeating the cycle over you're kind of stop you're stopping it uh yeah at a you know stop, stop. it's a multi-generational cycle i'm sure but you're like stopping it uh right there you got it and 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 there are there are folks where we 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 trained and placed the older sister and then the younger sister came then their younger brother came and then their younger brother came and they're all working now at these great jobs like the trajectory for that family is going to be different right and like that's the promise of what we're doing here right and that's why it's so exciting it's so cool um what's uh so let's let's kind of uh, we skipped i think we skipped over some of the details of hope work so there was like the early days in the house i've heard a lot of stories i i, I wasn't there and i didn't see it but i i saw the house or i've heard about heard stories about the house and then i've seen your camden office and now uh i got to watch you guys open the philly location the kensington yeah. location so uh just talk through you know what it was like through those phases and then what what like what's the next phase after after kensington yep so you know and thank you for asking yep so and kind of like the 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 best way to think about our growth has is you know when when we when we started making this shift back in 2012 right when i first started working we we placed i think um five or six folks into jobs right it was tiny right uh we started, we figured out what we had to do. We started tracking, we figured out it worked and then we had to do more, right? So within two years, that house was full. We were taking meetings on the porch. Folks would <laughs> folks, folks would have sessions in their cars, right? Cause there was just no room, right? Okay, so now it's going. So then we took over the building next door, right? Because our businesses were growing too. We we're getting bigger contracts because remember we train folks, but then we had these businesses in web and geographic information systems that employ folks. Those businesses were growing too. Uh, probably one of the seminal moments for that was um, we have this GIS department for folks who don't know GIS is digital mapping and data analysis. And one of our big clients now is American Water, the national utility company. But at the time, we were just trying to close this big contract and, and folks didn't didn't know if, you know, young adults from Camden, right, with no work experience to do this high level stuff. And we had just gotten, Brian, this person, uh, Chris Kahn from American Water had taken a chance on us. He had given us this $30,000 contract to do field data collection. And man, this is, a, at the time we we're so small, this is a huge opportunity for us, right? And I remember we, we had just sent our first teams out to do the first two weeks of data collection. I was I was like a mother hen, you know how to go. Everything's going right. Okay, we're doing great. Um, I, we were going to nail this until I got this call from from American Water. Hey Dan, do you have a moment to talk about the data collection? And I don't know if there's entre right. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if there's entrepreneurs on the call or business owners, but like you can imagine, my stomach was upset. From that, the moment I got that email until the call, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm trying, I'm I'm checking with the team. Did something go wrong? Did somebody <laughs> drop something? Like, did, was there an incident? And no one can tell me what it was. So so I'm like, ah, oh. so I'm I'm going into this call, my stomach's upset. I'm thinking, what is it? So I, you know, I pick up the phone, you know, and I'm like, you know, hey, hey, American Water, happy to talk about whatever's going on. You know, we're we're ready to partner. And, you know, I was just ready, you know, and the whole time in my brain, I'm like, oh, I can't believe we messed this up, right? <laughs> you can imagine the feeling. <laughs> the guy says, Well, I wanted to talk to you because I was curious um about your performance in the field. And I was like, Okay, yeah, absolutely. Tell me what you're seeing. You know, I'm I'm here for it. And he said, Well. You know, we've we've done this before with our own engineers. You know, a guy out there in the truck, and it seems like your team of inexperienced folks is doing it faster and more accurately than our folks in the truck. <laughs> <laughs> so of course, just like you're like, hold on, I have to go put the phone down and uh, lay down for five minutes. I'll be right back. <laughs> oh yeah, no, so of course I was like, well, of course they are. I never had a moment out, right? Like that's what I would have expected. Now, of course, the, the economics of it makes sense, right? They had one highly paid engineer in the truck doing it. We had teams of young adults out there. Of course, now in retrospect, of course, of course we were faster and better, right? Um, but what that did, that moment was really important, right? Because that was the moment we proved that on a corporate, you know, industrial scale, we could not just compete with folks in the market but beat the market, right? 
And that really set the stage for our growth. And what we started doing is really working both, uh, especially in JS and web. Um, so we grew and we grew, and then we took over some more space and another space. At this point, we were spread over three locations. We had young adults moving all over the city. It was really inefficient. But we saw this opportunity to like, maybe we could really, really grow this. Um, and I, the, the other thing that happened that I, I knew we were onto something is because as we had more young adults coming through, as we were doing more business, we also needed more placements, right? We needed more places for them to go work. So that's the other part. It's like, we had to find employers that would say like, look, I'm willing to hire this candidate that doesn't have a college degree, right? Maybe doesn't look like a candidate I've ever hired, right? And so I, that's, I was always worried about that. Like how many folks can we convince? And I remember I, I got a phone call one day and it was the phone call that told me like, okay, we got to go, right? We got to do more. Was I got a phone call out of the blue because I'm stressing. I'm like, who's going to hire all these folks? We got all these young adults coming in. We got to keep the promise. And I got this phone call out of the blue. It was like, oh, hi, is this Hopeworks? Yep, it's Hopeworks. Yeah, listen, I, I, you know, I, I, run, I run a company and I, I'd like to hire a bunch of your young adults, right? And I was like, great, but I was a little suspicious, right? Because I hadn't called this guy. I didn't know who this company was, right? They hadn't interacted with us. So I great, excited to hear it. Tell me more about your company. It sounded like a great opportunity. Wages were great. And I kept saying, okay, but like, tell me, how'd you hear about us? He's like, oh, yeah, you know, in this space. And okay, but, you know, why do you? And finally, just because I couldn't get to it, I said, you know, listen, sir, I'm so excited you want to do this. This seems like a great fit. But like, why do you want to hire our young adults? Like, I know they're awesome. But like you haven't met them. Like, why are you so certain? And he said, Oh, yeah, I know I want to hire your folks. Are you great? Why? He said, Well, <laughs> you guys beat me on my last three contracts. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I was like, okay, let's go. Right? Was it an agency or what what was it? Yeah, it was it was uh it was uh it, it was a engineering firm that had been doing GIS work in the space and um and and we had beat them, right? And so he's like, who's the, who's this person that beat me on the contract? Looked us up and said, oh, wait, <laughs> I could I could hire my competitors. <laughs> That's pretty smart. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I was like, all right, we can do this. And so uh, we worked hard and and uh, we opened a 10,000 square foot training facility here in Camden. Uh, at this point, we're placing, you know, we're, we're running about 100 a year, 100 young adults a year. Uh, and then right when we had it all figured out, right, everything was fine, the pandemic hit. And I have to say that was incredibly hard for our communities. You can imagine vaccination rates in Camden and Philly were lower than elsewhere. You know, families, a lot of folks are young adults, families either weren't working before or if they were working, they were working in retail and food service. So they were no longer working so hard for our families but it turned into such a massive opportunity for our young adults. So what we found is suddenly companies as far away as North Carolina were looking for help and they didn't need to move there to get a job there. So we, we moved from panic, what are we gonna do quickly to like, let's grab this opportunity. So in the middle of the pandemic, we, we added another 4,000 square feet. We opened a co-working space for our alumni still in use now, I'm actually sitting next door to it now, um, where when they would get these virtual jobs, they could work out of the co-working space. It's like we work for Hope Parks alumni only, right? So they have good internet, they have equipment if they need it, they have phone booths where they can take business calls and, um, and our job growth and opportunity for young adults coming out of the pandemic has just exploded, right? We it, Folks really realize that, um, that they have a productivity problem, they have a worker problem, and they have a diversity problem. And, and, you know, I'm clearly biased, but turns out HopeWorks can solve all three for you. That's so cool. So, uh, so that's, that's the trajectory. And that that's around the time, I think, uh, I think you were just in construction of the, the co-working space when I, when I met you and, and got the tour for the first time. Uh, so I guess that was, I don't know if that was 2019 or if it was during the pandemic, but, uh, but yeah, it was right around that time. And, uh, so then, uh, so, so then, so then you fast forward now, now you've got the Kensington location. Yep. Well, and cause what we found was, okay. So then we found that folks were hiring our young adults, right? We were out of space again. It, it was so funny. I, I knew we had a problem, um, with our new fancy space when I found myself again, having meetings in my car. <laughs> so 
was like, okay, this feels familiar. Um, we got to do more, right? Especially since um, we were we were changing a lot of lives, no question. Like, you know, when we're placing 100 folks a year, that's equal to $4.3 million in additional wages every year. So we're doing it for sure. But here's what we started thinking, right? Is that like, if we could do just some little bit more, not only would we place a lot, but we could start changing the narrative about who you hire for these positions, right? If you're placing one or five or 10, folks are like, that's cute, right? But it's clearly not a scalable solution. But if you're placing 200 or 300, first of all, you're changing those lives, right? We're gunning for 200 jobs next year. That's $8.7 million in additional wages. So like, that's real. But also, when you're placing 200 a year, folks are like, that's a scalable solution to an employment problem. You know, all these young adults in Camden and Kensington that I've overlooked for decades, maybe they're the reason my company could could double or triple in size, right? Yeah. And so we realized, like, first of all, there's this huge need, right? You know, you know, Philly's this, the nation's poorest big city, right? Uh, don't need to tell any of your listeners who are familiar with Philly that violence is an issue. So there's a huge need. But more than that, there's an opportunity here, right? If we could demonstrate that if we could open in Philly and not just open anywhere in Philly, for folks who don't know, we chose to open in the Kensington neighborhood of Philly, right? Which is when you're looking about bad things to say about Philly, you will mention Kensington, right? It's a neighborhood that from the outside, folks like to say is struggling, right? But when you get in there, what you actually see is it is a place of huge opportunity in Philly. It is young adults, people ready to work, ready to change their lives. Um, and so, in December of 2022, we opened another training facility in Philly. And I got to tell you, by the by the end of the second week, we were waitlisted. We, we have over 80 folks, sit, I said earlier, waiting on the wait list now. Um, and the last thing is uh, folks said, oh, if you open it in Kensington, that's a bad neighborhood. Folks won't come to Kensington, right? Uh, turns out, if you're offering folks real opportunity, they will come from everywhere. We have folks coming from every corner of the city. We have one dude coming from Delaware just to get up there. Um, well, the cool thing too about Kensington is uh, you're right. It does get like, it's kind of like the poster child for bad neighborhoods in Philadelphia uh, from like a news perspective. But it, I think it's one of the, uh, I think it's gotten a lot of bad attention. So I think a lot of people there like want to, you know, they, they want to show that it's not like what the yeah. news says, but in addition to that, so there's like this, I think there's like a neighborhood camaraderie in Kensington. And in addition to that, it's right next to this neighborhood called Northern Liberties, which is like a tech hub in Philly. There's a street called Nerd Street, which is like tech tech companies. And, you know, it's and that's a kind of like the opposite demographic of, you know, like the, the socioeconomic de demographic and in uh, Northern Liberties is very much like the opposite of the Kensington so socioeconomics. So like Philly's very much like that, like sort of very much pockets of different different neighborhoods. But uh, you know, I I actually think it was a genius move to to go you know into Kensington. Well, and that was why we picked it, right? It was it was it checked three key boxes. The first box was HopeWorks' mission is to end poverty, right? So what we've learned through our years of experience is you can't end poverty from Center City, right? To end poverty, you got to be proximate to it. You got to be where where it's happening check. Second thing was important is we know for our model that we have to be proximate not just to poverty, but to folks, employers and folks who want to help us end it, right? And as you said, it's right next to this tech corridor. It's right next to folks because we've learned that employers, folks who want to see our young adults in action, they have to be able to get there and see it, right? Check. The third thing we learned that was really important was that our young adults, remember, are coming. No one in their families had these kinds of jobs. They've never had these jobs which means imposter syndrome, you know, that feeling that you don't deserve this is real for them. So we work really hard to make our spaces, they don't look like schools, they don't look like classrooms, they look like the tech workspaces that our young adults are gonna enter. What that meant is we also needed to have a neighborhood that has real estate available that we could build into that kind of space. Check, right? You have, a, you have a really cool office, by the way. I, I love Thank the Kensington you. office. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the idea, right? It's, in fact, I always joke, like, our goal is that when our young adults start their first job, 
they walk into that tech office and they're like, well, this is a little cruddy compared to HopeWorks, but I guess it'll do. <laughs> like that's our goal, right? Because our young adults deserve that kind of space, but more importantly, it shows them that they deserve and belong in that kind of space, right? And that's why it's so important. And that's why Kensington was just a perfect fit for us. Yeah, I love it. Um, so how uh, how do you how do you see the scaling? Like how how do you how do you think? Uh, so I, I, let me say a preface it. Um, I often talk with entrepreneurs, I, on, even on the show, about there's this concept, especially in like SaaS or software businesses, where it's harder to get from zero to a million ARR annual recurring revenue than it is to get from a million to 10 million mm. because you have to like prove, you have to prove all the unit economics and the product market fit and figure out like you have to deliver successfully on your promises and to get from like zero to a million is harder than like, once you get to a million, you've got all that stuff figured out. Now it's just a matter of like throwing on jet fuel to get yeah. to the 10 million. So you've like, you've done that. So you guys have gotten from zero to like, I don't, you said like 300 job placements per year. So like getting from like 300 to 3000 is probably less of a leap, I, I would think, than getting from zero to 300. Uh, first of all, would you agree with that? And and second, uh, you know, what's what's the what's next for HopeWorks? Yeah, so that's it. So we've opened in Philly. You know, we've we have this model that works this the next 12 months is we're going to we're going to prove not only that we can do it, we know we can do it. But we're also going to prove that we can uh, sustainably fund it, right? Because our businesses have are growing quickly. And well, we also have to get our philanthropic funding, donors and grants. That has to grow too, because that's how we support our young adults as they're making this transition. If we can pull it off, and I think we can, um, then by this time next year, we will be ready to look at another city, right? Because we did Camden. Philly's our test. It's going well. If we can push show, show that we're doing well, then we're ready to go to Newark, go to Baltimore. And as you said, once it, once that playbook is down, right, the first replication is tough, right? Second one is important. Then we can really start doing this. And the, the, the thing that I'm most excited about is, yes, we're going to change lots of lives. Like, right, 100, 200, we're going for next year, 300. But the more important thing that's going to – the real scalable change is now if we can pull this off and we're about to – then we can change the narrative about, you know, often folks continue to see young adults like we work with, young adults who've experienced homelessness, young adults who are coming from Kensington or Camden, young adults who've experienced barriers. Folks see them as our problem, right? But in fact, if we can show people, and we are, that in fact, at scale, these young adults are the solution to your business problem. The reason you can't find the workers that you want, the reason you think that folks don't want to work is because, again, you're looking in the wrong place. We have a waiting list of over 80 folks in Kensington. Our young adults want to work. Like if we can show companies and show people that young adults in our cities are not the problem, but actually the solution to the biggest problems we're facing, then yes, HopeWorks will place a bazillion people and that'll be good. But then everyone else will too, right? And that's the play, right? That's the play where we can really make a huge shift. That's so cool. Uh so how let, let's go into, you know, as we're wrapping this up, let's go into how people listening can help. Uh, what what uh, if any listeners are really inspired by the story, what can they do to help hope works and help the mission? So the first thing I'll always say is if you can come for a visit, right? Um, visit the website www.hopeworks.org. And but more importantly, come for a visit. I hope you enjoy talking to me. It's always great to talk to you, Brian. But like, you don't really want to talk to me. You want to meet our young adults and see what they're doing, right? So if you can, come for a visit. But even if you can't, reach out because there's other ways we can get you involved, right? One of the first ways is to do what's called a listen and learn. Talk to our young adults about your professional journey and help them get there. And that's so important because remember, our young adults are often the first in their social circle that have ever taken this step into this kind of career. If they can hear how you did it, it shows them the path. And I always joke, if you got straight A's, nothing bad ever happened, went to Harvard and then got a great job, congrats, but you're of no use to us. But if you're like everybody else that had failures and bumps along the way, let's come on, right? And we can do that in person. We can do that virtually. Then if you're- it's, uh, it's it's inspiring for the listeners. I, I'll, I'll be doing one today to help. That there's, a, there's a pitch competition coming up uh, in a few weeks and uh, just working with these students and seeing them work through their business ideas and how they present them and, and helping them achieve their mission. It's really inspiring to see them doing it. 
so if anybody is in the Philadelphia area or New Jersey area and uh, is on the fence, just go do it. Uh, yes, thank you. It's awesome, right? And then if you're hiring, do a mock interview with our young adults, right? Uh, and, and you'll see how awesome they are and you'll help them get through that final thing. And then once you see kind of like how awesome everybody is, like help us do more, right? So we're always looking for companies to utilize our business services and web and GIS. If you're in that field and you're looking for like an awesome subcontractor to pick up a, the, 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 a part of the project and keep your costs low, we got you, right? And you're going to change lives while you're doing it. Second thing we're always looking for is folks who are like, look, if you're like, if you are so sick of hiring the same person that quits after six months or asks for a raise after three after three weeks, call us, right? We're placing folks all over the city and we'd love to help with more companies. And then the third thing is we do need folks to support us philanthropically as well. Every uh, every time a young person walks through the door, we got to make sure they're set up with housing. We got to make sure they're trained. We got to make sure their mental health is right. All of that is a cost. And we're looking, but once the nice thing is once we take care of those things, they're earning money for themselves and their family from there. So we're always looking for folks to come and help us pay for those bills as well. Um, and those are the really big ways where you can really do a lot with us. Cool, cool. Dan, this was uh, this was awesome having you on. I I, I really enjoyed hearing the, the full story end to end, especially the origin. I've heard bits and pieces of it, but it's really cool to like hear your story all the way through. Uh, but uh, anything else you want to close on today? Uh, just, you know, I have to say thanks to you and thanks to your listeners. I and mean, the one part thing that's awesome about my job is I either get to talk to young adults who are the bravest people in the world doing this thing. I get to talk to um, or I get to talk to folks like you, folks like someone to listen who could do anything with their time. Right. And I've instead chosen to spend their time helping young adults change their lives. So I would say, like, I don't have a lot of super villains in my life, thanks to people like you. And I really appreciate it. Absolutely, Dan. Well, I'll see you later today. Thanks for coming on. Great talking to you, man.